Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Tomorrow is the 1st of May, bringing an end to the worst month of this pandemic. Vaccine is finally on the way. We made it. Give yourself a physically distance hug. It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Oh, my. Oh, Oh, that's a good one, buddy. I think we just watched you go through puberty. Uh, Good afternoon. (laughs) Uh, Hey, what the heck? It's a Friday. You know what I mean? Uh, Oh, that was funny. Good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Big Ben Strawn back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. 40% of uh, Ontario adults uh, by the end of this week will have had one vaccine. That is great progress. Obviously, as you know, uh, we've had a, a, quite a shortage of vaccine up until now. It looks like uh, the month of May is going to be a game changer as more vaccine continues to come in. Uh, also, the concern about the variants, although we're seeing modeling cresting, 90% of the new cases are variants of concern. Uh, this is what's obviously been fueling the third wave, and uh, obviously the province is calling for uh, stricter border regulations on uh, not only flights coming in and out, but even those that are hop-skipping and jumping and taking a cab uh, up to the border and then literally walking across. So uh, you're pretty much up to date there on uh, what has been going on. Let's bring in Dr. Alan Vaisman, infectious disease specialist with the University Health Network and is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for having me. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the modeling, which was revealed yesterday. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously, we are. It, it was slightly optimistic. You, you certainly don't want to uh, present the situation that uh, we're out of the woods by any means, and, and people uh, becoming lax in the protocol. But it seemed to appear that uh, at least we're cresting here. What did you see there in the modeling yesterday, doctor? Yeah, there's two areas that look very promising. The first is that in the last 14 days, the case numbers have consistently come down. The the total numbers are coming down. The hospitalizations look like they might have crested. But the third aspect, which is perhaps the most pressing and concerning right now, is that the ICU numbers have yet to peak. So this is where the healthcare system is the most vulnerable and where, you know, impacts there will have a significant impact elsewhere on the system. And so It'll take, hopefully, according to their numbers, another week or half week until we see that to peak, and I think that's a very important piece. We're seeing uh, 90% of the new cases are the variants of concern. Difference between what we were experiencing a year ago and these new variants. What's the difference in them as far as, obviously, uh, the ability to spread and and, uh, how dangerous they are once you get them? Yeah, before we would have seen situations where uh, one individual in a family might have become infected with COVID and maybe 20 to 30 percent of the family members would have picked it up. But now we're seeing for the last two months or three months or so since the variants became predominant is that an entire family will now pick up the virus from one infected individual. So the not only is the, the result in more morbidity and more mortality, but we're seeing entire families being affected and You've seen many tragic stories in the news about how what that leads to is people not being able to get to care on time, people not being able to see each other because they're in further hospitals. That's one of the most sad and unfortunate consequences of having these variants be more transmissible. And 
we're hearing calls for borders to be closed. Obviously, uh, we know that flights in and out of India and Pakistan uh, have been uh, stopped for the month. Uh, we're seeing people crossing the border, literally, literally walking across and even flying provincially. Your thoughts on is the answer here to to shut down borders while we're all locked down? Yeah, I think the, the shutting down the borders is something that you might look at a little bit later on in the pandemic. Um, right now, it only makes a small proportion of cases that are being transmitted here. Most of the cases are being transmitted within the country. The, as for the question of these new variants, there's, it's still not known whether the variants from uh, India are going to be more transmissible and more deadly or that's going to be causing a big problem. So the shutting down the borders, I understand where people are coming from with that because they want to be very careful. But it's really it's not the predominant problem right now. It's, it's only a small piece of the issue currently. But you know, we've certainly heard that before, Doctor, that, that that some have said that, you know, it's such a small percentage of those that are coming in uh, via air that are actually uh, testing positive. But from what we understand, what's not being followed up is what happens when they meet two people and then they meet two people and what goes from there. And again, at the end of the day, what it sounds like you're saying to me, the variants are in, so just leave the doors wide open, as opposed to stopping them by closing the doors. Uh, if one you know, if it starts with 1% and 90% of the cases are all of the new variant, that shows how fast that 1% percent can spread because that's the only place it comes from right uh, so i think there you know there's two approaches to that problem either you shut down travel completely and don't allow anyone to the country in order for that to be effective you need to do that across the board because there's many ways people can enter the country uh through secondary cities through land borders and so on the second option is to try to reinforce the policies that already exist so on paper, they would work great if people really followed quarantine, they really followed the policies, the testing, as is done in other countries where they do it successfully, like in Australia or New Zealand or Taiwan, where people who do travel and arrive are placed on a very strict quarantine. So those really are your two best options. And it's not to say that that it's not should be done. I mean, I think there is a value in it. And I think uh, that is one way you can deal with the new variant. And as you said, all it takes is a few instances for it to start to transmit in a population. But it's more that resources right now need to be invested into other aspects of the pandemic, which, um, you know, should not be distracted from because there's far more pressing issues right now. With all due respect, doctor, have we not been doing that for the last year? I mean, you know, we've been locked down for virtually a year. It's the, the hot spots for months and months at a time. So, you know, what more can we do even if we seal everyone off? Don't make anybody move for a month, but we're still letting variants come into the country. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's true that this is one way that it, that the virus can enter, but the reason that we're in the severe situation. Well, right wait a now, sec, doctor. From what I understand, it's the only way the virus can enter is through travel. That's how the new variants are coming in. You're saying it's one way. From what we understand, what we're being told from the science, it's the only way it comes in. And then once it comes in, it spreads very quickly through the community, as we saw in that Barry nursing home. Right. So I think when you talk about certain instances in the pandemic, there was certainly a high value to doing what you're describing and what we're talking about in terms of locking down the travel restrictions. So, there so when should we have locked all the so when should we have locked all the borders down? Well, there may have been a value to that earlier on in January or December, but there are other realities to the Canadian situation which makes that even more challenging. So, for example, there's several thousand truckers that go back and forth, and other people who provide essential work going back and forth between the border. 
which makes these measures challenging, makes it more porous, the border. So there's certainly things you can do to make those restrictions a lot more tighter and a lot more... It seems as if, doctor, excuse me for interrupting, but it seems as if we're, we're looking back to things that we're already doing and saying we should be doing all of this. It's a mixed bag approach, which I think everyone agrees with. But this is the last thing that has not been done. And now it's time to finally do it. If, like you said, it should not have, it should have been done really back in January. So with all due respect, what you're talking about, we've all been working on that for the last year, as have governments of every level. So I think this seems to be the only thing left to do other than, of course, getting more vaccines in and, and getting vaccinated in a more timely manner, which we're hoping is going to happen now in May. So I, I'm not, you know, we're pointing to other things except air travel. We've covered everything else. Now how about air travel or borders? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand the value in it. I think the situation in Canada and the reason we have ongoing transmission is in the virus is here already. There is no chance of eliminating the virus in Canada because it's a respiratory virus and a variety of reasons. There's going to be ongoing transmission between people. Whether there's peaks and surges that require us to go in lockdown has less to do with the travel at this point, with the exception of there being an identified variant that might be more transmissible than what's here. There you can see a very clear example that the lockdowns and the restrictions in travel are going to have a very significant effect because there there is a more likelihood that the virus will enter and transmit to other people. But if we're talking about the general concept of having peaks and waves of the virus, that that will exist, unfortunately, in Canada, just due to the nature of where we are in our communication with other countries. And that an absolute restriction, there's always going to be there, unless you have a methods that are extremely tight and very well enforced and across the board and apply to every single traveler, apply to every single essential worker who crosses the border and provides essential things for Canadians. Unless you apply that broadly, then there's always going to be those those porous holes in the in that policy. So, so uh, in other understand. words, because there's other poor there's other porous uh, there's other pores in the policy. There's no sense shutting down border traffic. I think there is going to be a time and a place where that's relevant. So, for example, if you've identified a unique, so it's not relevant now. Then, I mean, I think it's relevant when you're talking about a very specific location. So, for example, now when we know that there is a variant of interest that may be more transmissible arising from a specific country, there is more value in targeting travelers from that country because you are targeting a specific viral strain of concern or interest that may be more concerning if you let it spread through Canada. But, you know, the the discussion of broad restrictions across all travelers, using that kind of thing has to be very well thought out. And thinking about what the consequences might be across the board is is a little bit more tricky when you think about uh, how Canada functions and how our economy functions. I'm not. But many people, yeah, yeah. But many people who are criticizing the provinces are saying they didn't lock down hard enough, that they didn't do this long enough. And and boy, try telling that to people in, in the Greater Toronto Hamilton area who have been locked down for months and months and months. So. Um, you know, many have said, you know, everyone wants us to lock down and just shut 
everything down. Or there's a portion that wants to shut everything down. We just shut everything down for a month, and then everything will be fine, and we'll we'll have moved on. We'll have brought the new cases down. But again, you're asking people to stay locked down virtually across the country while other people fly around. So again, what's even, you know, many critics are calling for total lockdown, didn't do enough to shut this down initially when the vaccine was not coming in, didn't work hard enough to do that. And yet the new variants, which are all coming in from border air travel, uh, now or initially, uh, what, what difference does it make if you lock the whole country down if you're still letting people fly in and out of it? Yeah, no, no, I understand that certainly a problem because when you get a situation with low case volumes and you're uh, letting people travel around and introducing the virus to Canada, that that is absolutely a problem. And I absolutely agree that we should be restricting travel to the point where it's only essential travel is going. I think there's a lot of travel that's still occurring that's completely unnecessary. And I do agree we should be discouraging and restricting that as much as possible. But there are, as I mentioned, there are other realities in Canada about essential travel that will still occur and other people who go back and forth across the border just because this is the nature of Canada and how we rely on things. But, you know, the travel, again, the restriction of the travel itself is one aspect. The other is actually reinforcing the measures which make the restriction more uh, effective, like more effective quarantining and more effective testing when people arrive. And as I said, the uh, one other thing I have to recognize is that one of the reasons that we go back and forth in these ways isn't, isn't always because of travel, because the virus is always here. It will never be eliminated. And the reason we've had resurgences is also because of a lack of control and being able to test and isolate people when there are resurgences. If we had a better capacity to contact trace people and to give people easy access to testing, then these resurgences probably would not be as severe, would not lead to as many restrictions subsequently to lock things down. It's all about getting on top of the virus as fast as possible. And you could see this in real really playing out in Atlantic Canada and how well they're able to keep track of things when they have new cases. So in the end, this is a race between vaccine and variants. We're expecting a high supply, obviously January, February, March, April. It's been incredibly inconsistent. We're promised a now a, a surge coming in through May and June. Where do you see this going? The, that's, um, you know, Canada's very dependent on the supply from other people. We don't have any uh, production here in Canada, unfortunately. There are, the predictions are now looking better in terms of supply. We heard yesterday that people who are 18 and above in Ontario will be able to get vaccinated starting in the middle of May. So that's all very positive news. Hopefully that will also influence our ability to get second doses into people if the supply improves. But again, it's all something that uh, is kind of judged from week to week. We've always seen unexpected delays in, in uh, deliveries of vaccines. Now with the situation in India, there may be associated delays with the AstraZeneca deliveries here too. So unfortunately, it's just a week to week assessment of how, how much we're getting. We're, it's certainly a, a pretty positive week this week with, as you said, those numbers, uh, 40% of Ontarians uh, now with one vaccine, hoping uh, by the end of uh, May that uh, all those 18 plus can can register and such to uh, to to get the vaccine. Um as this continues, and, and it's positive for, for those of us that have had the first dose, but now we have to line up and do this again. Are you uh, confident that we'll be able to get that second dose into Canadians in a timely manner? 
Yeah, the, the way we're going now, it's going to look very slow because the second dose for people in March is, is going to be in July. Those people included people who are 80 and above, people with chronic illnesses. Those people still haven't got their second doses. So it is an unfortunate situation because it means prolonging things even more. It means the, the numbers, as you saw from the projections yesterday from the science table, will potentially rise again at the end of June or beginning of July. So we're really, really extremely dependent on the supply of the vaccine and being able to shorten that interval. The faster you can shorten that interval, the more likely people will be protected and the less likely we'll have another wave of COVID again. Uh, you're talking about that, likely of having another one again. Uh, should we relook border travel again? Will that come up again through all of this? Yeah, it's uh, it, again, it's something to look at, certainly in June. What, so if you think about what could happen, you know, why would we get another wave of COVID cases again in mid-June based on the projections from yesterday? It really is because of the lifting of the restrictions and that because of the variants which have been present here in Canada since January, and currently the, the B117, which has been here for a long time, is still considered probably the most transmissible and still is the dominant by far here, 90% of all cases. That will resurge if the lockdowns are, they predict at least, that it'll resurge if the lockdowns are lifted. And whether travel will have a big impact on that, I guess it's something to address at that point when you see where cases are coming from. Are they happening in workplaces? Are they happening at homes? Are they happening in social gatherings? And certainly, if travel is a big component, then yes, it absolutely makes sense to address that as soon as possible and try to reduce that transmission. I think you're going to have a hard time holding people down over a year and telling them to continue in lockdowns while others get to fly around. I just, I, I can't see that. I can't see that I, I being agree. acceptable I, with Canadians. I, I perfectly understand, and I, and I agree. And, I, and again, I agree with the concept of limiting and restricting non-essential travel as much as possible. It's still bewildering to me that many people continue uh, to, for, to do this kind of travel, and I think it, it not only has, the possibility of transmitting the virus, but I think you, you've identified an excellent point that it has a, a bad effect on the morale of Canadians. Uh, if you're sitting at home and you're restricted while other people are going around traveling, it has those two negative effects. So definitely restricting the non-essential stuff is, is really critical. Dr. Alan Weisman with us, infectious disease specialist with the University Health Network. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Lots of chatter around uh, sick pay and where we go uh, from here, uh, as well as obviously the race between the vaccines and the variants and inevitably uh, border control and border crossing, which, of course, uh, 90% of the new variants are, or sorry, 90% of the new cases are the new variants, which, of course, come in uh, initially from travel. Let's bring in Peter Gray, professor of political science at McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I am, thanks. Are you hoping, Peter, that by September there's some sort of normalcy when it comes to a year at Mac? Yes. Yes, I, am. <laughs> I mean, are they talking about that? I mean, you know, I've got a, a daughter who's in first year university, finished first year online and gearing up to go back and start second year uh, as per norm. Do you think that's going to be the case or as close as we're going to see? What are your thoughts on what it will look like come September? Well, I mean, I think all the universities are like kids in high school. They're looking at each other and trying to figure out uh, how far they're going to go. I think they, yeah. you know, they realize students want to be back on campus, um, and so they don't want to be the one uh, university that's not having students back while the other ones yeah. do. 
But, uh, you know, at the same time, again, given where vaccination is at, given what we don't know about, you know, case control after that, I suspect in most universities there's going to be some return to campus, but certainly still a lot that's done online. Yeah, and, you know, as we all know, it's it's not a flipping of a switch. It's a very gradual thing to get there, and maybe the deadline of September might be, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, well, a little bit aggressive when you think about it. All right, let's talk about what's going on. Lots of chatter uh, in regard to uh, vaccines, variants, and borders being closed, and sick days and such. Let's start with borders. Uh, I think a lot of uh, Canadians, uh, Ontarians, uh, probably feeling the fatigue of lockdowns and such, um and and you know i'm sure lots are are uh are wondering why we're doing all of this while others are flying around what are your thoughts on on should we be closing the borders being a little bit more tight yeah i mean i think probably from the start of the pandemic um there's been an unwillingness to actually come up with you know coherent and lasting border strategies I mean, Canadians, I mean, I think we, we saw with this just how much our, you know, economic, uh, you know, success is tied to having a lot of mobility and having piles of people coming in and out of places like Toronto as an international hub. And for the longest time, we've seen that mostly as just a net benefit. And uh, there's been no desire to really, uh, you know, do things that are going to put costs on that, even though maybe, you know, some greater limitations on mobility uh, some stricter border protocols, uh, you know, will be an important lasting thing coming out of this. So, yeah, I think from the start, uh, we've done a, a poor job thinking about that and being willing to pay the price involved in limiting some of that mobility in return for the public health uh, benefit. Um, and, you know, at this stage, though, where we're getting 3,000 plus cases a day in Ontario, uh, you, you know, obviously keeping a variance out is important, but uh, in some ways it's also you know, changing the story from, I mean, where's the infection spreading? It's not It's not coming over the borders, it's here already. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to talk about borders, but much more pressing public health things in the short term are, are dealing with the, the widespread in our community. So, you know, borders are an important part of the story. It's one where I think the Trudeau government has probably gotten off a bit easy uh, in the pandemic in terms of being very slow to act at the beginning, having mixed messages, not really investing in the infrastructure uh, to to really control it or making the the tough decisions about shutting things down, um, but you know at this stage I think uh, you know the questions are probably much more about how do we deal with community spread. Uh, is the PM pushing the responsibilities too much onto the provinces? Because the provinces, I mean, you know, we all know in in Ontario, especially in in the Golden Horseshoe area, uh, lockdowns have been going on for a while in various forms. Some have been locked down for months. Um, but again, the borders are remaining open. Can you, it's odd that we have lots screaming that the provinces should be locking down more and should have done this and should have done that. And yet we all know the new variants come in from air travel. Can we not shut that down without interrupting the supply chain? Yeah, you probably could. Uh, you know, again, there would be some costs related to that. Uh, you know, and then there's, you know, difficult questions like, you know, our agricultural sector, which relies on large numbers of uh, migrant workers. And, uh, you know, there's many parts of the economy that rely on people coming in and out. So, I mean, part of it would involve, you know, paying paying that price. I mean, I think the prime minister has had an easy go of it because our premiers uh, are torn by that exact same issue. I mean, we have Doug Ford, who recently has been you know, tearing a strip off the Prime Minister about uh, travel and, you know, again today uh, coming with a number of proposals about uh, getting people to, you know, have three three-day stays when they cross the land borders and so on. 
Uh, but back in December was uh, getting antsy that, you know, travel wasn't resuming back to its normal speed quickly enough. And so, uh, you know, again, probably pushed by the economic concern. So to the extent that we have premiers who aren't even, you know, very clear on what way they want to go, I think it, it allows the prime minister off the hook for not having taken kind of a strong and clear position at the beginning in terms of, you know, ultimately, you know, putting the public health concern above uh, the concerns of Canadians who wanted to to move about, uh, but also the sort of economic costs that might flow from closing the borders. Do you think we're going to see change now? Uh, or, or again, I mean, it's funny because when we point to this, many will say, uh, many experts who aren't in favor of, of closing the borders uh, will say, well, there's so many other things here that we should be doing or could be doing. And we all realize that, you know, nothing is perfect. It is a porous situation. We've been in this for a year. Uh, and we pretty much addressed everything else, whether, you know, it's been done correctly or not. That's always open up for debate. But this is something that's remained wide open for the whole for the whole time. And it seems because we have issues with other uh, protocol and other situations that we shouldn't be touching this. You know, well, we're not dealing with sick. You know, if we dealt with sick pay, then we wouldn't have to. You know, it's as if they're using other issues to cover or get away from the issue of actually closing the border. There's other things we can be doing, which for the most part, we are. <laughs> this is the only thing that seems to be left. Well, yeah, I mean, the list may be longer, but it's true. It's, uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's one where the prime minister and uh, our premiers are, I think in many ways, uh, counting on Canadians to you know get to September or whatever and feel like it's just back to the old way. Uh, and I think their bet is ultimately that Canadians don't want added hassles uh, you know, they don't want vaccine passports uh, to travel. They don't want added hassles at uh, the airport. Uh, they don't want, uh, you know, additional difficulties in terms of, you know, bringing people in to do high-end work in, you know, the Toronto financial sector and so on. In other words, I think they're counting on Canadians ultimately not supporting a greater degree of restriction. So, I mean, it'll be interesting in politics. Do we get uh, any parties saying that, no, we actually have to change the way we we manage the flows of people in and out of Canada. I mean, Canada is a very open place in terms of, you know, the extent to which uh, there's migration, uh, you know, for labor, uh, permanently uh, visiting. I mean, there's, there's such great flows, but, you know, do we, are we willing to put greater barriers around those things for public health reasons, knowing that those have costs? And I think our politicians are ultimately reflecting that they don't think citizens want those things. Uh, but again, you know, do we have a party that begins to push for uh, a greater role, uh, kind of a stronger a state limiting some of that mobility in the name of public health. So, so we'll see what we get, but I think our politicians, in a way, are, are pricing in the idea that Canadians, you know, once we get through the pandemic, will actually not have a lot of appetite for those kinds of measures. It, it just seems, I think, to a lot that they're restricting the citizens' travel, the those that are following the protocol and staying home and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, you, you, you know, many are calling for stronger provincial member uh, measures, the uh, and we all know how Ontario is feeling after over a year of this, but they're neglecting that. And, and I think Canadians are having a hard time dealing with ongoing, never-ending restrictions while others fly around. Yeah, I mean, we certainly saw that uh, after, uh, after the Christmas break when a whole lot of you know, Canadian politicians uh, had taken trips uh, outside the country, and we saw the degree of rage around that. Um, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I'm not sure if people are thinking about that, but I think it is part of the story of uh, the unshared sacrifice uh, of this pandemic, right? Of, of who of who gets to travel and who doesn't. 
uh, you know, of who, who's in jobs uh, with sick pay, uh, you know, in most cases, people who actually manage to be able to work from home, who's, who's in jobs without sick pay, well, the people who have to go to work to, you know, deliver the packages that the people sitting at home are, are ordering. Uh, you know, those kinds of questions of inequality, I think, will be pretty important coming out of the pandemic. When people look around and say, well, it wasn't, you know, we, we weren't in the same boat, we were in the same storm, but in different boats. Uh, mm. And so certainly this question about who was moving about, you know, whose mobility was uh, put ahead of those of others. Yeah, I think that will get people upset. Um, you know, whether they're they're clamoring for a closing of the borders, in most cases they are. Uh, in this instance, I, I would tend to agree that Mr. Trudeau has gotten a bit off easy. Um, but, you know, is that the number one concern? I, I, I suspect uh, people are actually looking much more at what's happening within their communities in terms of, uh, you know, what's happening at the grocery store, you know, the much more immediate questions of, of the uh, virus in their communities and how they can stay safe or how they feel they are not being kept safe uh, as they move about. Uh, paid sick leave, obviously a huge issue in this. Um, many have said the federal has this, federal government has a system that's sitting there. It's being unused. There's millions of dollars that, that aren't being accessed uh, because people say it's uh, inefficient, it's cumbersome, it's hard to get at. And then there's a, a three-day gap between A and B and, and so on and so forth. Um, so then the responsibility comes on the provinces to, to do this as opposed to fixing uh, the federal system. Uh, the, the Ontario government has said they will give three days to, to, uh, to bridge that gap and then double, uh, add money to top up and double the, uh, the federal system from $500 a week to uh, to a thousand dollars a week for a total of uh, possibly up to forty six hundred dollars, and back and forth we go like a like a ping pong table. I thought it was interesting what uh, Toronto Mayor John Tory said yesterday uh, when people are throwing this back and forth because you're really starting to see you know your polit- uh, political partisanship come out here. John Tory, uh, the mayor of Toronto, said it's time that the federal. Christia Freeland, the federal finance minister and the provincial finance minister, sit down and lock themselves in a room and don't come out till they get this figured out. Certainly, making one uh, believe that the next uh, the ball is in the in the Fed's court and it's up to both of these parties to get together and resolve this. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think ultimately, I mean, we're dealing with something that's pretty uh, time compressed. I mean, the proposal here coming from the province is going to run until September. I mean, really, the time it's needed is uh, last week and this week when we go yeah. into shutdown and we want to hammer down uh, the reproduction of this as quickly as possible. and not. Now, it is retroactive to the 19th, though. Yeah, although, you know, if I'm feeling sick last week and went into work, right? you know, uh, claiming that retroactively, uh, you know, I can't take that day off retroactively. Um, yeah. You know, so in that instance, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they really do need to get this hammered out last week. Um in terms of, again, making sure that if we're uh, taking the economic hit of having the shutdown, uh, that we don't still have the spread of the virus because people have to go into work sick uh, or they make the choice to go into work sick because they don't have an option of, uh, you know, any economic security otherwise. So in that in that context, yeah, we're missing an important piece of the puzzle. There's a federal program, uh, but again, you know, by the time you actually get that money, it's uh, late uh, and it's asking for a kind of a longer uh, leave uh, this uh, you know provincial program uh, at least is immediate, um, but it's only for three days. And so if you actually get COVID, you're kind of stuck in between. You'll be worse off actually taking that program than just waiting for the federal one in the longer term. So yeah, I mean it really it doesn't make sense 
uh, as a program if the point is to, again, uh, prevent the transmission that we're seeing in a number of workplaces. Um, you know, it's, it's, not doing, it's not doing the job, and the governments do have to come to a solution about that. I mean, even as it is, uh, you know, in many workplaces, even if you have the right to a sick day, uh, whether you actually have that right is another story, or whether there will be retribution if you try to take it. And so, you know, even there, the, the fact of moving to sick days is probably a, 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 in, a, in a good direction. But if people are really in a situation where they, they need that income and they're worried about losing their job, you know, even having the sick days may, may, maybe don't, doesn't take you that far unless they're, they're really something that's enforceable. Uh, obviously, many have uh, have criticized the federal program for inadequate and and uh, and again inefficient and cumbersome and and, and uh, tiresome to get through. I, I, my first reaction to that is, well, if the feds can't deliver this in a timely manner in the way it's supposed to be, how can the provinces be expected to do that with much less resources than what? Uh, the federal system has, which is why they want to use the federal template that's already in place to do this. So, um, you know, if, if the fe- it seems that we're criticizing uh, the federal uh, uh, plan, but instead of demanding that be fixed, we're expecting the provinces to fix it. So um, at the end of the day, how can we expect provinces to do a better job of this than, than the federal government? Well, I mean, provinces uh, really are the ones that police labor standards. And so, I mean, we had provincial sick days, I think all of two of them, uh, you know, briefly in place uh, in kind of 2018, 2019, uh, sorry, 2017, 2018. Right? These are things that, you know, fit pretty uh, easily in the suite of things around minimum wages, hours of work, things that the provinces are actually well-placed, uh, right, to monitor and to deliver. Uh, I mean, what's different about this program is that usually if we talked about uh, paid sick days, the idea would be that it would be the employer that would eat it, ultimately, right? They would have to to pay uh, the wages, yeah. and they wouldn't have someone working that day. Um, you know, there are there are states in the United States and cities that have ordinances of paid sick days, and they again, it, it's the the employers who have to pay, and it seems to work all right uh, as a system. Um, but obviously, in this case, uh, you know, the provincial government decided that employers may be too hard up to be able to to pay, or that it would cause hardship given the state of the economy. So that's the part that's a bit different, right? That they have to find the budget to pay for it. But I mean, to the extent that the big chunks of money around the the CERB and this, you know, the CESB uh, and the variety of uh, wage subsidies to to firms have come out of the federal government's pocket, you know, the sums involved in in paying for uh, up to 200 bucks a day uh, for people being sick between now and September, uh, you know, it's not really a huge uh, sum for the province to shoulder, given the extent to which you know the federal government uh, really shouldered uh, the loss of income that came with the shutdowns last year. What about the fact that the you know in this fund is lots of unused money? I mean, why not put it to the front line somewhere where it's going to be used? Because clearly, it's not it's not being used or it's being used very minimally the way it is. Yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, again, the 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 economic cost of not acting uh, is going to be quite a bit greater than of acting. Um, I mean, I think it's a situation where in Ontario we're, we're not super well served by a business community that doesn't have a, a strong and unified voice. And there's, so there's been no group that's really organized the, the point of view to say, yeah, in the short term, these things hurt. But actually getting us down to COVID zero means we can open and do a lot better. 
Instead, you know, we've had these kind of cross-cutting uh, claims from the business community where it's like, okay, we have to do this, but let's open up as quickly as possible. And so we've ended up with a situation where, you know, ultimately we've probably been closed more than we've needed to because we actually haven't taken the longer-term view. And so I think this is a similar one where, you know, keeping people home when they're sick does have a specific cost on that day for a business. But in terms of the greater public health in- uh, outcome, uh, you know, it's really immeasurable, the, the cost that comes from the transmission we've been getting out of these private sector workplaces, you know, as well as through our schools. Here's hoping the feds and the provinces can uh, work to get something done. By the time they will, uh, the pandemic will probably be over. Uh, Peter Graff with us, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. Peter, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. And you too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right. Uh, lots of chatter in regard, especially in the latter stages of this dragging on uh, global pandemic. Uh, lots of chatter around uh, how long you wait between the first and the second dose, who gets it first, uh, paid sick days. And the longer this drags on and the longer it takes to, vac- uh, to vaccinate and the race between the vaccines and the variants continues, more and more we have these uh, sidebar discussions and, and, and arguments basically about what is the best way to get out of this considering the predicament we are in. Now, that being said, the great news is, is, uh, come May, which uh, starts tomorrow, apparently the vaccines start to roll in and will only, only in, uh, continue to increase. And as a result of that, if that keeps continuing, uh, 40% of Ontario adults, uh, with their first vaccine as of this week, and they're hoping that by the end of May, that all those 18 plus who want one will be able to register. So that's providing, of course, the uh, supply chain continues. Another sidebar to this is paid sick days. Many are saying and talking more about that than they are the variants and the vaccine coming in. Let's bring in Julie Kwasinski, Director of Provincial Affairs for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and is with us now. Julie, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Well, hello, Scott. Always a pleasure to be on your program to share our members' views. Thanks for having me. So what are their thoughts, Julie, in regard to paid sick days and, and this whole discussion that seems to be dragging on? Well, I can say first and foremost that we are relieved from the small business perspective that the government listened to us when we asked that any program not be permanent and not be paid in the end by small employers, who I think clearly everyone understands have struggled enough financially due to COVID-19. But, you know, the, the saying, the devil's in the details. The bill has come out, it's called Bill 284, that actually gets more into the nitty-gritty of how this is going to work. And we already have a few red flags The first one, without getting too far into the weeds, this one is an obvious one. If I'm an employee right now, Scott, this bill has received royal assent. I can start claiming these three paid days. However, there is no system set up yet for the employer to get this money back. Hmm. So that's a concern. And once that system is set up, we don't know how long. The employee then has only, I believe, 120 days to submit to get the money back. And, of course, the other thing, too, is we're still not sure whether it's going to be an easy thing for the employer to do, because according to the bill, there's a lot of things we don't yet know 
that will actually be part of the formal application process for the business owner to get the money back. Um, obviously, uh, the, the, the renewed uh, policy is, if this goes through, um, uh, many have said that the federal system just was inadequate, too cumbersome, too late to start. The provincial government here in Ontario has said they will close that three-day gap. Uh, and then double up the payments uh, for four weeks, $4,600 total. Uh, so instead of 500 bucks, it's it becomes 1000 bucks. Now the volleyball game starts. It's back and forth over whose responsibility it is and such. The mayor of Toronto, John Tory, said, which I thought was very uh, uh, enlightening, said it's time for both the federal finance minister and the provincial finance minister to get in a room and not come out until this is resolved. Uh, what is the solution here? Whose responsibility is this? Well, I think there's a couple of things at play here. Absolutely. I mean, the province had, has put forward the idea to double this money, but the feds would then have to administer it. So there are right. obviously issues there. There's manpower that's needed for that. But you're absolutely right. The province is basically saying, here's some free money, figure it out. Because in the end, and I know Mayor Tory uses this line a lot, the uh, people don't care where the money comes from. Yeah. They just want it to be paid or reimbursed in the case of businesses. So that's all semantics. And as far as anyone out there is concerned, most people see government as the big G. So any mm-hmm. level of government is government with a capital G. They don't get into the nuances or semantics. And the other thing at play here, too, I think, Scott, that people have to realize is that this is not the panacea. Everyone's all focused on these paid sick days. Yes, they are important, but they're not the only solution. The government needs to add other solutions to protect both employees and businesses. We've been pushing for weeks and months for widespread rapid testing, renewed contact tracing, and keep improving and expedited the vaccine's rollout. All this focus on paid sick days without the other elements is not a complete solution. Who needs this? Because many will point to Canada Post or Amazon when they're pointing to to outbreaks and such, but these are larger companies, organizations. They have paid sick days. Who is this specifically for? And this will obviously affect small businesses. Great question, and you're absolutely right, Scott. Uh, As far as I know, Canada Post has probably even a better program than three paid days. So this will, you're right, it'll affect smaller employers. A lot of employers have a paid sick days program, but it's not formal. So the person comes up to the boss, I'm not feeling well, The boss, okay, go home, and they don't count it. They don't write right. it down, they're too busy. Very informal, friendly environment. But for those environments that aren't like that, that's where this would apply. And I think it's important to note, too, that this is a maximum of $200 per day. So it applies to any employee under the Employment Services Act, so essentially full-time, part-time, casual, seasonal, temporary, but not independent contractors. So if you're a part-time worker and you would only earn $120 for that day, that's all you would get. But at the same time, let's say you're in construction and you might earn more, the employer is only obligated to give you the 200 right. if they choose to give you more fine but legislatively they only have to give you the 200 so again this is for people who don't have any 
formalized program in place. And the other point, too, is you can't stack them. So if somebody has a 10-day program, this is not to make it 13 paid days. Right. If somebody has a two-day program, it makes it a three-day program. Right. That's how it works. So uh, obviously we are where we are, Julie. What is your advice to Big G, as you say, big government, uh, uh, from, a, uh, from a Canadian Federation of Independent Business perspective? What would you like to see here? Well, I think in fairness to the provincial government, I mean, it's clearly not my program to go on your show to defend the Ontario government. My job is to stick up for the 38,000 small business owners. But I think all of those small business owners believe that employees should be healthy and safe in the workplace, and they want to do their part, yet they're struggling. So if the government of Ontario is saying, here's 500 free extra dollars, free money, to top this program up to 1000 for up to four weeks, find a way to administer it. Because in the end, if you think about it, Scott, you know, even from a strategic perspective, I'll put my strategic hat on for a moment, um, back to my comment about every government just being big G, people would think, oh, I got all this money from the federal government. They might not even realize that some of it came from the province. So strategically, it's not a bad move for the federal government to do it. Yeah, there's so much at play here, Julie. So much politics at play as well. Uh, Julie Kwasinski with us, Director of Provincial Affairs for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, talking about uh, paid sick leave. Julie, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. My pleasure. Have a super weekend. Bye. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.